0: Good morning, Rimrock. It is truly a beautiful day. Um, We're hoping that the clouds stay here for a little bit, but if not, I don't blame you if you all start moving back. I know it's not because we smell bad or anything like that, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but uh, yeah, you can't be sure. We don't know. Uh, We're just excited to be here to praise our Heavenly Father this morning, so feel free to sit, stand, dance around, um, and let's worship.
1: the only thing that ever really makes me want to change I don't want to use your grace God I need it everyday it's the only thing that ever really
0: comes Ben, which I'm really glad I saw you walking, because I had no idea who was coming (laughs) up this morning. (laughs) It's a surprise.
2: Thank you. Hey, good morning. Wow, what a joy to sing and share together. I, I just was reminded again this morning how worthy our God is of our praise. And there's something really special about being together and being reminded of that together. So there's something in uh, liturgical churches, they call it passing the peace. We just call it greet your neighbor. But there is something about being the body of Christ. So I'm going to have you stand up, and I just want you to, to uh, find someone, just share God's peace with them this morning. Just take a, a, a m- moment to share God's peace with them. Right, such a such a lovely thing to share God's peace with God's people. So we got a couple things coming up, but I just want to say welcome, first of all. Uh, We're so thankful that uh, you joined us for worship at Rimrock Church. I know many of you have been part of Rimrock for a long time, and we're we're so thankful for you. For those of you who are new to our community, we just want to welcome you. There's a a table by that uh, basketball hoop, where you can uh, let, let us know who you are and we'd love to give you a gift and, uh, and let you know about some of our, our ministries here at, uh, at Rimrock Church. We have uh, a couple things coming up. There's a, a baptism on August 28th and uh, I'm so excited. We have, uh, we have quite a few people who are saying yes to, to being baptized and it's gonna be a wonderful celebration and we're gonna have a meal, a picnic together and our downtown groups going to be with us so we're going to be all together as one one big family it's going to be a wonderful wonderful celebration um this fall we have uh, wednesday nights starting on september 14th that's the time we come together for a meal at five thirty, and then we have a lot of different small groups that meet for all ages from adults all the way down to uh, nursery but we also have small communities that meet throughout the week and uh, we'd like to we're going to do a training this afternoon right after the service at 1030 over in the, the library in the main building. And if you're interested in facilitating a course or want to know more about how we view small communities, we'd love to invite you. You can come today at, uh, at 1030. And then this fall, uh, one of the ministries that we uh, par- partnered with for a long time at Rimrock Church is Christian Life Ministries. Uh, Nick Ewing is going to be... Preaching this morning, and he's a a, a awesome leader of that ministry. And they have a a course uh, starting this fall, and I'd really encourage you to consider taking it. I got to take it a few years ago, and it was such a blessing to to me. And I think it really gives you tools to understand how how does God want not only us to be discipled and grow, but also how can we help others? How can we help others grow in Christ? So uh, you can talk to Nick, check the website. It's at CLM. Would you join me in prayer? Father, thank you for your presence in this place. We don't take it for granted, Lord. Lord, this life is short and fleeting. We are like grass of the field, the flowers of the field. Our glory is here today, but gone tomorrow. But God, your glory is forever. (laughs) It's an increasing glory. And you created us to be with you, to know you to hear your voice, to know your love, to know your peace, to know your joy. And we need that this morning. I need that this morning, God. We're desperate for you and your word and your truth and your life. So God, my prayer this morning is that whom have we in heaven besides you and on earth, nothing that we desire besides you. Lord, our our hearts and our flesh may fail, but God, you are my strength. Lord, you are our strength, you are our portion, and you are worthy of our praise.
0: So I have a new song that we're going to sing this morning, and I just wanted to share just a little bit about it. It comes from Revelations, chapters 4 and 5. Uh, It's this, where John is getting this grand vision of the glory of heaven. And in there, we see all these elders just casting down their crowns before the Lord. We see just the constant praise of heaven, of our Lord. And it's not just a moment of worship, it's not just a time of the week that they come to worship. It's day and night they are worshiping, singing, Holy, Holy, Holy. And I've just been challenged in my own life to just keep asking and considering is my life an act of worship to the Lord or do I just come here on Sunday mornings or when I'm around other believers do I worship but it's clear in Romans that we're to present our whole bodies our whole lives as a sacrifice to him as holy and pleasing this is our true and proper worship that it's not uh, not just a moment but it's our whole life and I know that I'm so far from perfect, and there's still so much that I can turn over to the Lord, but I just keep asking him, God, what else in my life? How am I worshiping you when I go home? How am I worshiping you when no one is around, that my whole life is an act of worship as offered up to you? And uh, in this song, um, there's a line that says, day and night, night and day, let incense rise. And that might be a little confusing, but... um, Throughout Scripture, the prayer and the lives and the worship of believers is referred to as incense that is offered up as a sacrifice to the Lord. So it's this prayer that day and night, night and day, would my whole life be for you, because everything that I do ought to be for His glory, because He is worthy. He alone is worthy of it all. And so as a part of our worship this morning, I asked Larry to read that portion of scripture. So I ask you guys just to listen and sit and be reminded of his glory and see this beautiful picture of heaven, of everybody just bowing down and worshiping him.
3: From Revelations 4 and 5. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Then I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll with writing on both sides and sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, "Who is worthy to break the seals and open the scroll? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth could open the scroll or even look inside it. I wept and wept because no one was found who was worthy to open the scroll or look inside. Then one of the elders said to me, do not weep. See, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, the Root of David, has triumphed. He is able to open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I saw a lamb, looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. The lamb had seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. He went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priest, to serve our God and they will reign on the earth. Then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea, and all that is in them, saying, To him who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. The four living creatures said, Amen, and the elders fell down and worshipped.
1: All the saints and they- I know Oh <gasps> So yeah.
0: praise is always just insufficient God but you alone are worthy to be praised and not just in this moment um, but all the time God you're worthy of it all God I ask that you just keep working in my heart and my life to show me God where it is that more worship needs to enter in I just pray that you would be with Nick as he comes and shares God speak your words through him God and help us to receive what you have for us to say, your word is life. pray this in your name, amen.
4: Well, good morning. Praise team, thank you so much. Singing songs like that and reading in Revelation, it seems uh, an interesting thing to come and try to talk about this God that we can barely grasp, uh, but if it weren't for His calling and His anointing, uh, none of us could, could understand, none of us could minister to each other, so uh, like always, we're just relying on His presence and His Holy Spirit, and that's a lot of what we're going to talk about today, so if you have your Bibles, please turn to Mark chapter 9, and, and let me encourage you, if you're, if you're 12 years old or older, uh, bring your Bible to church. Bring something you can feel. I'm not going to judge you harshly if it's on a screen, but you young people, I want you to feel this thing. I want you to know where it's at, uh, all your senses. So let me encourage you to bring the scriptures to church if at all possible. Uh, by way of reminder, so we're walking through the book of Mark, and the book of Mark was written by Mark, and it's very likely that it was told to him by his friend Peter. Um, one of the apostles. And so the the focus of Mark is basically the works of Jesus Christ. So as you march through this book, you'll see Jesus did this, and Jesus did that, and Jesus did this. It's focused a lot on the action of Jesus Christ. And the whole point, I believe, and, and most scholars believe that, is basically to ask the question, who is this Jesus Christ, and then what will you do with him? So that theme throughout the book, who is Jesus and how am I personally going to respond to these stories or this evidence or these events of a man who walks on water and heals demonic activity, uh, calms the sea, Uh, how do we respond to that? So if you guys would, uh, bow your heads and pray with me and then we'll dive in. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for your mercy and your grace that's poured out upon us every single day that sustains our lives, that gives us breath, uh, but more than just existing, you give us a purpose, to unite with you, to know you, to know your love, and to spread that to the world. We thank you for the hope that is within us by your spirit. I pray against the enemy and the distractions and the assault against our body, souls, and spirit right now, and ask that you would cover us um, just with your favor. Uh, We love you. We honor you. We ask that we bring yourself glory today. Amen. So at the beginning of Mark chapter 9 is when um, the transfiguration occurs. So Jesus brings uh, Peter and James and John up to a high mountain. And you'll remember that Jesus was bright and shiny before them. Uh, They see a vision of Moses and Elijah. And then kind of the, the climax of that moment is when the Father from heaven says, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And so, as soon as they come down from that mountain, uh, this is the scene of our uh, text today. So, in verse 14, it says, And when they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them, and the scribes arguing with them. And immediately, all the crowd, when they saw Christ, were amazed and ran up to him and greeted him and asked them, And Jesus asked them, What are you arguing about? And someone from the crowd answered him, Teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. So taking a little break here. So the first thing we recognize is as soon as Jesus comes on the scene, he comes about this great crowd of people, and his the scribes are arguing with his followers. And we can only speculate what they're arguing about. We don't know exactly what the argument was all about, but what we do know um, earlier, it talks that the scribes at this point have determined to try to figure out how to kill Jesus. So what we know is the scribes are anti-Jesus, against his followers, so it kind of makes sense that anything that they do publicly, they're trying to kind of tear the name down, break the following, and so they're entered into an argument. And as we go further, it says, when everyone saw Jesus, they were greatly amazed. Now, we don't know also, is this because the fame of Christ has been rising and rising and rising as he's doing all these works? Uh, I wonder if he's still honestly glowing from the Sermon on the Mount. And so that gets people's attention. But the, the main problem or the main issue that, that comes here is that you have this boy who is mute and deaf. And at this point, it is attributed to an unclean spirit or an evil spirit or demonic activity now in mark 7:32 so right before this jesus also heals a deaf and mute man and there's no mention at all of an evil spirit it seems like it's just a medical issue and so i think one of the things that we can take from this is trying to understand when evil comes where there's destruction Oftentimes, it's easy to either throw it all on some overtly in-your-face demonic activity, where if a person's sick or something happens, we immediately claim um, Satan's work or their sin. And, and then other times in Scripture, it, it gives no no allegiance to Satan behind this. So I think one of the things that we can we can grab from this is that my experience is that Satan often uses the frailty that's already there and capitalizes on it. So you think about if my flesh pattern is to be hypercritical, and so I just tend to critique things and discern things, and that kind of falls over to too judgmental, too critical. Well, doesn't Satan just love to take some things that are already there that are close to some gifting and he perverts them and he twists them and capitalizes on the weakness? So I think for us, it's good to understand where our weakness is It's good to understand where our frailty is so we can be on guard against the schemes of the enemy. What's that look like in real life? Well, I go to a barbecue last night with some friends, and knowing and understanding I'm going to be in the midst of some people, it's good for me to present myself to God and say, All right, Father, I need you to harness a critical spirit. I need you to to harness my tongue and my mouth and make sure that only what you want to come out of my mouth comes out. And so I think the other thing that we can learn from this is truly all destruction in the world, so whether it's the deaf and mute man in Mark 7, or if it's the the demonized boy in Mark 9 who also manifests deaf and mute, you think about the fall, and this is a time when God creates man, creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them an opportunity to believe and trust in him and his goodness or not to. And so as we know the story, Adam and Eve decide to not trust in God's goodness. So unbelief in who God is sets in, and they choose to not listen to the Son. They choose to not listen to God. And Scripture says at that point, destruction enters in, and all of creation is undergoing decay on one form or another. So if you think about it, you think of all evil, all sickness, all destruction— ultimately came from unbelief. Charles Spurgeon says, Unbelief robs God of his glory in every way. Just because there will always be a war between the two doesn't mean we accept the presence of unbelief. Darkness thrives on unbelief, often leading us into sin. While doubting isn't necessarily sin in and of itself, the sin begins when our doubt leads to action. When we enthrone unbelief, over-belief, and actively serve the falsehood, we are exchanging a truth for a lie. So back to our texts, We get this scene. This uh, father wants to have his son healed. The disciples cannot do it. And Jesus says, O oh, faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. So he changes the focus on himself this situation, this evil that these people can't conquer, these people can't figure out, even his followers. And he says, bring them to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw Jesus, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about foaming at the mouth. So another scene where we recognize the demonic world recognizes Jesus. The demonic world knows who Jesus is. And in Mark, over and over and over, when they're in the presence of the creator, the sustainer, the savior, they fall, they declare who he is. So we understand that the the unseen world is very alive and very active here. Now something interesting, as the man brought the boy and these apostles of Jesus couldn't cast him out, A few verses earlier, so actually a few chapters earlier in Mark 7, when Jesus is sending out the apostles, and he's sending them out by twos to do his work, it says he gives them authority over the unclean spirits. And so what's implied is as the apostles went out to declare repentance and salvation in the Savior, they were doing the works of Christ because Christ had empowered them to do those things. But now, there seems to be something a little bit different going on. So hold on to that thought, and we'll, go, we'll get back there. And as we keep reading, Jesus says in verse 21, He asked the Father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into the fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus replied, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out, "I believe; help my unbelief." And when Jesus saw that the crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, "You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out and never enter him again." And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, "He is dead." But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And and when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? And he said, This kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. All right, so backpedaling up here a little bit. As Jesus engages in conversation, asks how long has this been happening, we recognize in the Father reports, It's not only turned uh, this boy mute and deaf, but it's sought to destroy his life, throwing him in fire, throwing him uh, in water. And then he says, if you can do anything, have compassion and help us out. I think it's hard to understand kind of what the feel of the room is when he asks Jesus if you can do anything. And Jesus' response is, if you can. And I'm not totally sure if Jesus is saying, what do you mean if I can do anything? Or if he's saying, if you can do anything, this is going to work. And I think the anything is followed up with what he says. All things are possible for him who believes. And I want to stop here because it's really easy to think and take this scripture, which we've seen done a lot, and we take this idea that all things are possible for him who believes, and we begin to kind of proclaim what I would say is a prosperity gospel, a name it and claim it. So the things that I want, if I believe hard enough, will come true. And if it's not coming true, I must not believe hard enough. And so I think that is very man-centered instead of God-centered. And my experience is I do not see that happening today. and And I don't think the focus is necessarily supposed to be on the results. Meaning, I don't think, though Jesus heals this boy, I don't think he was saying... If you believe that the demonic can be cast out and your boy can be well, if you believe that hard enough, that's going to happen. I think what scripture is putting forward here is, if you believe in me, if you believe in my power, that will change things. And as a result, Jesus heals the boy. I want you all to think about something. How many of you believe that God Almighty could turn my hair pure white right now. Can he do that? How many of you believe he's going to if I pray that right now? And then maybe we'd pray a couple times, and then maybe we'd all start reading some scriptures where God does some miraculous healings to motivate ourselves, and then we pray harder. And then we, we kind of, I do believe in spooks, I do. He's going to turn my hair white. He's going to turn my hair white. He's going to turn my hair white. And so then we can get real confused if he doesn't. Because we see him cast out demons. We see people request things and it happens. What's going on there? Again, I really believe the focus is the same thing, theme throughout all the book of Mark. And honestly, I believe the book of the Bible. It says, if you believe in my goodness, if you believe that God exists and that he is perfect, that he is good, If you believe in him, change occurs. If you believe in him, miracles happen. So we need to be very careful what we're being asked to believe in. Listen, in Mark 10, so fast forward a couple chapters, Jesus is talking about how difficult it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And his disciples say, Well, then, how is it possible? And his response, Jesus' response is, with man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. So the focus, again, is the character and the person of Jesus Christ. When Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, getting ready to face death, getting ready to face crucifixion for my sins, when he's getting ready to be separated from, from God the Father, and he's on his knees begging and pleading and saying, if there is another way, let's do that way. How does he finish that prayer? Not my will, but your will. The focus forever and always will be on who God is. And so anytime we see the Bible say, ask anything in my name, believe anything, and faith of a mustard seed, and you can move mountains. The focus is who God is. I, I may have shared this story with some of you, but um, pr- about a month ago, well, two years ago, I was in uh, the gym working out, and, you know, I walk with a limp. If you haven't noticed, that's not just a gangster walk. I got some stuff going on. Uh, but this kind gal saw me um, kind of limping around and, and whatnot, and she said, what happened? And so I told her my story of virus and paralysis, and Uh, She said, well, can I pray for you? And I said, absolutely. So she prayed healing for me, and then she kind of looked at me, and then she prayed healing for me again, and I just kind of wanted to pat her head and and say, well, thank you. Um, And so she began asking questions and asking about my story. And as we were talking, uh, I said something like, well, I don't, she mentioned my faith, and I said, well, I honestly have very little faith, but it's in a very big God. And it just struck her. And so that was two years ago, and I'm at a restaurant in town about a month ago, and I'm just standing there waiting to order, and this gal darts around the corner, and she says, Pastor, do you remember me? And I was like, absolutely, you prayed for me at the weight room. And she said, yes, I did. And she said, you said something that has stuck with me since that time on, and I've had a chance to minister to some people in the last week, And you said you had very little faith but in a very big God. And I want you to know that changed my focus on who he was as opposed to all the things I can and can't do. And she said, yesterday I was sent two sermons. I've never been to your church. I don't even know who your name is. And yesterday a friend sent me two sermons. One of them was another local guy and the other one was you. And you echoed the same thing. And I just want to tell you God is using you to bring glory to himself. Now that's the Holy Spirit, right? And this woman, God loves so much that he is transferring her eyes off of what she can do for him and for people and more to what God can do for her and as a result through her. The infamous um, reply that the father says, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. Bonnie McCarran says, raw faith combined with the confession that he needed Christ to attain the far more perfect faith that he claimed. Isn't it true that all followers of Jesus experience belief and unbelief at the same time? If you search your heart and recognize, there's a lot of things you believe God for. There's a lot of things that you have believed God for. But at the same time, there's so many things that we don't. What do what you suppose to happened to that father's faith after this healing? Greatly increased of who God was, correct? Imagine your son not being able to speak for most of his life. Imagine your son not being able to hear and how this father longs for that freedom. And think of what took place a week later as he's sitting at the dinner table, and his son says, "Thank you." Imagine the tears flowing down the father's eyes as he looks at his son and can communicate with him. What other face do you suppose that father would see? My guess is he'd see the face of Jesus, the man that brought the healing. My guess is as he looked at the goodness of his son speaking and entering into a different level of communication and relationship, as he no longer had to worry any time they walked by a river, Or a fire. My guess is he remembered the healer. And that that face was forever in front of him. We're praise God of the healing of a boy. But I think all of that is to remind us of the goodness of the giver. Unbelief and belief. You think about different people of the Bible. Like Peter who walks out on the ocean. Incredible faith. And then what happens? Unbelief sets in, and he starts to sink. And Jesus grabs him by the hand, just like he did to the blind man. He grabbed him by the hand, and he led him out of the village to heal him, just like he does with this boy who goes down to the ground convulsing. After healing, Jesus grabs him by the hand and raises him up. That's the kind of God that we have. That's the kind of God that we serve, one who can do miracles and in a very personal, compassionate, tender way, grabs you by the hand and brings you to himself. And like Jesus pulling Peter out of the water and showing doubting Thomas his hands and his side, he honors this father's faith, however defective it is, and he sets the boy free. A guy named John Bloom says that. Understanding that none of us have perfect faith, none of us have full belief, but our gracious and loving God works with what we have. And he works to take small faith and grow it as we come to know him in a big way. My encouragement to you is never be complacent with unbelief. Even though it's present, I hope that we continue and constantly fight against unbelief. Because like I said, I really believe unbelief is the result or death destruction, and all sin on some level is a result of unbelief. What do I mean by this? If you're in Christ, Scripture says that you're more than a conqueror. So stop identifying with shame and a failure. You're forgiven. So stop living under the shame of constant guilt as if you're not. God delights in you. So stop hiding from him recognizing that if God declares things like, I delight in you, unbelief doesn't just mean that. It means the opposite. It means, I believe he does not delight in me. So you see, faith lands somewhere, and there's no neutral ground. So if God says, Nick, I love you, if I have unbelief that God loves me, what does that mean? I believe that he does not. So your faith is always moving somewhere, and your faith is always driving some kind of behavior. So let's stop settling for unbelief and fight against it. So again, do you simply choose to have more faith? Do you simply just say, okay, I'm going to just start believing? I think there's times in your life where you've already tasted and seen the goodness of God. There's times in your life where you've already been convicted and convinced of a principle that you can choose to act on that by way of reminder. I know that God loves me. Now I will forget it. And so I can choose to exercise that faith. But if you've never tasted and you don't know, can you simply just believe something that you don't really believe? I don't think it's quite that easy. So how do you increase faith? How do you trust God more? I think it's the same answer that we've been proclaiming for a long time. Get in his word, pray, and surrender time in his word, getting to know who he is and what he's like on a personal way, and your faith will grow. Continue to pray towards him and to commune with him and spend time turning towards him, and your faith will grow. And then it's simply a result of surrendering and trusting in that. I believe in God so strongly because I've seen him work over and over and over. In all of creation, from a 2,000 year story to my life today, yesterday, and tomorrow. So I don't necessarily have to convince myself every time to have faith. It's just a product of keeping your eyes on Jesus and spending time with Him. Why couldn't the disciples cast the demon out? Again, earlier, Jesus gave them authority and they executed. So how come now? that the followers of Jesus were powerless. And perhaps it's because they were trying to exercise the ministry of Christ without Christ. Could it be that in this crowd with their enemies, trying to win that argument, were the disciples, were the apostles trying to exercise Christian work without Jesus Christ? Were they relying on their own formulas? Because later when Jesus says, this kind can only be cast out by prayer and fasting, I don't really think he's saying, if you have type A demon, you put type A medicine on it. I don't think it's necessarily this formula that, oh, you guys got it wrong, you should have looked at the, the witch's spell book a little bit closer. You think about what prayer and fasting is. It's being with God. It's dependence on God. And I think when we see Christians who are acting powerless, I wonder if it's because we are trying to live the Christian life without the Christ. I wonder if we're trying to even become Christian, where we we enter into some principles or some church and we forget It's not just coming to church on Sunday or even the things I just encourage you, praying and getting in the word. It's not just a a habit or a certain lifestyle. It's Jesus. And perhaps we're trying to execute ministry without his power. What would this look like today? It could be really easy for me to come up here and take scripture and do an outline and write notes and preach without reliance on the Holy Spirit. Now praise God for his grace and mercy that he can execute and use and minister to that. But I never want to be guilty of trying to do the work of Christ without Christ. Followers of Jesus are powerless when Jesus wasn't there. You cannot overcome evil without Jesus. Whether that evil is within my own heart or a deaf and mute demonic. The presence of Jesus is what's vital to be delivered and to be changed and to be healed. If you'll remember Pentecost, so this is in Acts 2, Jesus has his his disciples and he says, I'm going away, I'm going to send a helper. We'll read that in a minute. I don't want you to go out from this room. I don't want you to leave Jerusalem. Until the Spirit comes upon you. Why? Because the same thing that happened in Mark 9 is going to happen as you try to proclaim me. You'll go out powerless against evil. Because I alone am good. I alone am the author of holiness. I alone am righteous. I alone am God. So don't try to do the work of God without God. This is what says in John 16. Jesus says... I have been with you, and now I am going. It's, your to, it's, your, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go, the Helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you, and he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, and he will guide you into all truth, and he will glorify me. What's the theme of Mark? The person of Jesus and how we'll respond. What's the work of the Holy Spirit? To show us we need Jesus and to glorify him. Acts 1.8 But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. And then we see that promise. A chapter later, Peter in Acts 2.38 is standing up to preach. And it says, Peter Filled with the Spirit, means controlled by the Spirit, surrendered to the Spirit. Peter says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So we just got the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to convict the world concerning sin, lead them into righteousness, teach them about judgment, guide them in all truth, and glorify God, and just... A season later, Peter is executing the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Who was vital? Peter was a player. The presence of God through the person of the Holy Spirit was what was vital. Jesus in John 17, he's praying to the Father and he says, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I sanctify myself. That word sanctify means set apart for the holy service of God. We're here to serve God, and you cannot do that without him. I set apart myself that they may also be sanctified in truth. So what's it look like to present yourself a living sacrifice, as as Hannah shared earlier? What's it look like to allow the Holy Spirit to do the work of God? Here's what I came up with. I think you're aware of it. I think you acknowledge it, and I think you act on it. Meaning, I need to be aware that I cannot do the Christian life without Christ. I need to be convinced and convicted that God alone is good, and so no good is going to come from me without him. I need to acknowledge that. I need to bring that to my mind. I need to remind myself of that. I need to surrender to him. And then I simply act like it's happening. I simply believe by faith that the person of the Holy Spirit is speaking now. Even though my faith is not complete. Even though belief is mixed with unbelief. Our God is so gracious and he's so determined to make himself known. To bring people healing from evil. That he meets us where we're at. And he says, give me a small portion of faith and watch what I do with it. Let's pray. Father, we have so many stories in scripture about you working in the midst of brokenness. And not only bringing healing, but you working through broken people. You work through uh, people who struggle, just like us. And we give you all glory and all honor and all praise. We thank you for the freedom that we do have in Jesus. We thank you that though we live in a world that is still under decay and under brokenness and hardship, that your beauty is also seen in all things. And we thank you that you are determined to put an end to death, And all we have to do is look at Jesus and his resurrection to see that started. And we long for the day that you continue to bring that into full glory. That as we sang and as we read about Revelation, that one day every knee will bow. One day every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I pray for all these people that are listening. I pray for myself, God, that you would do a work in our unbelief that you would help us to believe more, and that we would simply present ourselves before you, be committed to get to know you. Your word says, those who seek me with all of their heart, they will find me, so that we might live in and walk in the power of the resurrection and the Holy Spirit. We praise you and we love you. Amen.
1: The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice, let all the earth rejoice. you
0: much for being here this morning feel free to stick around mingle a little bit longer and we'll see you guys next week and join Ben for the class if you're interested in uh, small communities